0: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live.
1: Hello and welcome to Washington Post Live. My name is Damian Paletta, Deputy Business Editor here at The Post, and I'm honored to be joined today by Rich Paul, sports super agent. Um, Rich, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks, Damian. Thanks for having me.
1: So I finished your book this weekend. I mean, it was an incredible journey just to go through, I have teenagers myself, I can't imagine them going through one day of the years that you went through. And I guess I wanted to start with, you know, you talk a lot in the book about your parents and the impact they had on you in different ways. And I wonder if we could start with that, um, with your dad specifically, and how these little lessons that he taught you along the way that I think in retrospect, as a reader, I realized, wow, these things all kind of played a big role in Rich's life later on.
0: Yeah, you know, my I had a great example of just a just what a man is supposed to look like and and work like and um, what what a man's character should be uh, in my dad every day, and so I was really lucky to have that. And so my dad was someone who instilled not only confidence in me but also helped me accountable and, and and gave me an expectation. So. I'm I'm just appreciative of my dad for sure.
1: And you know, re- re- some really challenging days with your mom too. I mean, I know she you you obviously had a lot of love for her, but she wasn't always there. There were times when you were quite a young boy when it was you and your two siblings in an apartment. You know, talk a little bit about how that made you grow up really fast. Um, I yeah, can't imagine absolutely. what that was like.
0: That was tough. You know, it's always t- I think I think a mother carries a child for a reason, right? I think there's always that emotional connection just through that that birth and so to be a kid and to uh wake up in the middle of the night and 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 not have your mom present that was really tough but i didn't let it deter me and i never let it allow me to lose the respect for who my mother was uh to me and 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 so i'm thankful for that uh but i understood at a very young age that my mother was sick you know, and, and and things happen in life, and you don't know why, but but it happened. But I thank my dad for making sure that we we had the right perception and the right you know respect going in. And I also thank my mom for never allowing me to actually see her in the act. I knew it, I sensed it, etc. But I can't sit here today and tell you that I ever seen it. And I think that just would have been. Would have been crushing for me, but but even if I was to again just to understand that that it's a sickness and and there's a lot of people kind of fighting their own sicknesses today, and for the kids that they are um, parents of, I think you know just can always respect and support as best you can because you just never know what someone's going through, and we're all human at the end of the day.
1: I love the way you structured the book by starting out with, you know, the book's obviously about your childhood and your young adulthood. But you start the book with this scene where you're having lunch with one of your uh, clients, Eric Bledsoe, and he gets an offer from the Phoenix Suns, more money than he ever you know, has been offered before. I think 99 percent of people, including myself, would have been like, yo, take the money, you know, like, give me the paper. Where do I sign? And you play it real cool, say, no, we're going to kind of wait it out. Let's be patient. And then the book sets up how you got to that place, how there's ice in your veins, how you know how to kind of manage risk. You know, talk us through a little bit about that. You know, how you learn not to overreact and how to like let things kind of play out on their own.
0: Yeah, I think you know, um, every day was a roller coaster ride for us, and so you can never get too high or get too low, uh, just in life. And so when you when you deal with that every day, it kind of molds you. And so even in your successes, we didn't really want to we didn't never want to shine a light on our successes, if that makes sense, because now you become you wake up everybody else to what you have going on. So we, we wasn't able to do that. But then also. Um, I just always wanted to do what was best for Eric. And you never know when someone plays to the level that he did to get to that point, the business was changing. And I knew that and we knew that. He trusted me. He knew I wouldn't do something just for, for me. I was doing what was best for him. And ultimately, we w- we were able to get to, to a point to where when he did sign his deal, nobody actually looked at him as being worthy of the deal that he actually signed, if that makes sense. Because he had never been a starter before going to, to, to Phoenix. He was pretty much a role player um, with, with, with the Clippers prior to being traded to the Suns. And then when he got to the Suns, it was his first time actually starting at the point guard spot. And so I just wanted to make sure I protected him for the for the long haul. And um, I appreciate his, his belief and trust in me and we were able to get it done.
1: I mean, I think it's so interesting you talk about the long haul because in a way, part of the book is about you getting through each day, you know, getting through in one piece, getting through, you know, whatever uh, thing you were doing on the streets or in school. But then, you know, there's also your this awareness that you have as a young man, as a young kid, about your reputation and how your reputation can be survival, really. You know, if people know that you're going to be honest, or people know that you're going to be a huckster, like that can totally change the outcome. So when you're talking to your clients now, how do you balance that? You know, a lot of them want to get the number one draft pick, or they want to get the biggest contract ever, and you seem very focused on the long game, kind of the arc of someone's career. How do you explain that to? you know maybe an 18 19 year old maybe 23 year old now
0: yeah you can't you, you can't make decisions for someone else's validation right and although you may want to be the number one pick but that may not be realistic and if it is realistic the number one pick may not be the best place for you to go number 3 may be better for your longevity there's a lot of layers and there's a lot of things to look at when deciding and and really, you don't get to decide because the team can pick you. They pick you, and you have to deal with it. Um, but ultimately, there is some strategy within there. I just just be honest. You know, I think these guys got so many people around them that are trying to paint a picture for their decision making that benefits them more than it benefits the actual player. And I never had to come um, from that perspective at all. And so I'm appreciative of that as well.
1: One of the things I thought was also really interesting, you talk about the, um, you know, when you started out, there were a lot of NBA players, and I know you represent uh, athletes from a bunch of different, different sports, but there were NBA players who had a similar background to you. Maybe they were raised by one parent, you know, maybe they were from places like East Cleveland. And now we might see more players who have been playing AAU since, you know, before they could tie their shoes, and they've, they were, it, grow up in a much different um, household. Is it harder for you to get them to relate to you? Like, what would draw an athlete like that to someone with your background um, compared to people maybe who grew up in the 80s in a place like East Cleveland, St. Louis, where it's different?
0: No, because I, you know, look, I, I grew up there, but I, but I had, I'm well-rounded. I'm, there's no question about that. So I can really relate to anybody from any, any walk of life. Um, that that doesn't really matter. I think what matters is. It's all about the athlete's character and 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 what they what they deem valuable to them if they are someone who needs everyone around them stroking their ego i'm probably not going to be the right representation for you because that's not what i do um mm-hmm. if they want to really have someone that believes in them that they can build and trust and that you're going to get the truth even if you don't like it and have infrastructure around and, and help you build good habits and things like that, then we're probably the place for you. And so whether you the number one pick or you or you one hundred, it don't matter to us. We want to work with with great families and great people. And we do work with great families and great people. So we're just thankful for the people that we are allowed to to work with and we, we, we don't worry about everyone else at that point.
1: I, I thought one of the things that was interesting, you, you almost say that people that you grew up with in the streets of East Cleveland were more ethical than some of the folks that might be in the agent business now. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, obviously a lot of what you grew up with had to He's do with not- trust and honesty, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, because because you're
0: there's consequences how I grew up, so you have to be, it teaches you to be honest or or else, you know? And in this business, everything is in in ink or everything is kind of behind closed doors or sources or anonymous people and all these different things, which I don't really come from that world. So I don't, it doesn't bother me at all, but I don't respect, I have very little respect for people um, in in my industry.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of key. You keep coming back to this point in the book about in the in the people in the industry try to rattle you. They'll you know talk trash, obviously, to try to steal clients away or something like that. Um, and you in the book you focus a lot on as a child and as a kid, as a teenager, not letting people get under your skin. You know maybe they'll try to take a shot at your mom or you know whatever. But you just learn to like kind of let it blow over. And is that something? Is that a skill that you think has really kind of served you well as you've gotten into the, uh, deeper into the profession?
0: Yeah, you know, there's courage and there's coward, you know, and I was I was always I'm bred to to have the courage um, to do what's right for myself and for others. And even if that doesn't mean that I'm the 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 biggest benefactor. And so I lead with that and that's fine. You know, a pair of lips to say anything, so you can't really focus on that.
1: So the, the title of the book, Lucky Me, I mean, there's a, some points later in the book where obviously things could have gone really sideways um, in a bunch of different ways. I imagine that given given where you are now in life, there's a lot of people who who approach you and say, hey, uh, you know, Mr. Paul, hey, Rich, how do I turn my life into that path? What kind of advice do you have for um, young men, young women, especially people from a more disadvantaged background to try to get themselves out of the rut, out of the cycle that maybe you, you, a lot of people that you grew up around fell into.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, as you guys out there, as you read the book, you start to understand as through, through the stories that I'm telling you that this is much, I'm giving this to you. This is about you. This is just as much about you as it is me. And I want people to be able to take these stories and align it with their own stories and find direction and find determination and find perseverance And and ultimately just continue to believe because I know it seems as if there's no way out, but there is a way out. You just have to stay present. You have to stay engaged until you see that door crack open just a little bit. And when that door does crack open, then that's when you burst through it. But the right way, with the right intent and the right will and the right drive and work ethic. And so that's what I did.
1: I love the the little vignettes in the book about LeBron James. Uh, I thought they were, you know, I thought you handled them really well. And, you know, you met him at a very young age. When you were 20, he was even younger. Um, It was at an airport. You were wearing a Warren Moon jersey. Um, And 60 Minutes kind of got a little bit into this. Let's listen to what what LeBron had to say about you.
0: It began with him, you know, wearing a throwback jersey that I'll you know, loved. But as we got to talking about sports, we started evolving and even talking more and more just about life and about our upbringing, about our, our moms and, and, and our communities and stuff of that nature. And it um, just kind of struck, struck a chord.
1: I mean, I know you've been asked a million times about your friendship, your relationship with him, but tell us a little bit about how that did just get, get the trajectory changed a bit from where you were and led to where and helped where you are today.
0: No, it, you know it helped a lot. I mean, you know, I'm thankful for that that opportunity of just developing a friendship because I think when people think about our relationship, they automatically go to a transaction or um, a financial gain. It wasn't about that. It was it was two people that God put us in this place to meet each other, and then oftentimes when you meet somebody and you talk to them you tend to find out that you have some like-minded issues or interests or shared experiences, et cetera. And we just built on that. And, and because we built on that and we, and because, you know, he was at a place in his life where, you know, he's becoming this guy. And so as you become that guy, very few people come into your life that you can actually trust or that you can you can actually benefit from in terms of not financial but in terms of just being able to be in the presence of someone and not feel like you always have to be on guard right. and that might have right. been very comfortable and 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 very um what i would say a pleasure to him brought him a piece of calm you know and some serenity from that perspective and then for me just developing that relationship it was pulling me out of an environment every day that I'm in consistently. So now if I'm not there, I'm, I'm, I'm limiting risk by not being present all the time. And so in a weird way, it was, it was that working relationship from that perspective. And then it became an actual working relationship when he had the, um, the want to you know, allow me to be a part of his, um, at that time, just his, his, his staff. You know, and and I really didn't have a title. Uh, There was no big lump sum of money or a check from that perspective. It was just, hey, here's an opportunity. I, I don't really know what the opportunity is, but I know a good person when I see one and I want that person around me and we'll figure it out. And so that's what we were able to do. It was up to me to then look at it and say, well, that's all well and good and I'm appreciative of that. But I know I can't sit here. I can't. I can't lay in that bed. I have to be able to make my own bed to lay in. And so, you know, throughout the years, that's what I did. I think people don't understand. I I didn't become LeBron's agent until my ninth year in the business. It wasn't like, oh, we're friends. Tomorrow you're my agent, and then, you know, it's a fairy tale story. So, um, I think it's important for people to also know that as well.
1: I thought it was fascinating how you you started. Um, when you were working for him on his staff, you said you just started by listening. You know a lot of people might come in and feel all this pressure to kind of exert themselves, strut around, look i'm this I'm the big guy. I'm LeBron's friend. But you just listen and kind of soaked it up. And I think in in life, especially younger people from whatever business, they they don't know exactly how to listen, right? And I think listening is something that you can carry with you and that people respect, especially people in a business like yours where they need counsel, they need honesty. They want someone who's going to listen to their concerns. Because I imagine the clients you're working with, they might have all different pressures. Some might have a family issue. Some might be worried about the career. Some might be later in their career, earlier in their career. Like, is listening and understanding something that you, you feel like can set people apart as they get further along?
0: Yeah, and observing. You know, when I, when I got around, I was the last one to the table. I wasn't from Akron. I'm from Cleveland. And, you know, I just looked around, and I was willing to just you know, add. I wasn't trying to take anyone's place per se. I wasn't trying to make it about me. I was just trying to be helpful not only to LeBron, to to anyone that was in his, you know, circle as well. And so I led with that energy. And and I think LeBron along with all of his other friends also opened up to me and saw and, and really welcomed me really fast and saw that, you know, this is someone that Is a part of us, and so I I was really appreciative of that as well.
1: Uh, One side, yeah,
0: very important. You know, I think oftentimes, especially when you're the talent, you you underestimate the importance of listening, because in your mind, I pay these people, so they should all listen to me. But you probably the one person that don't know as much as anybody else in this room, because you only had to be who you are today, and that's playing a sport. Or these other people have had several different experiences, several different jobs to get to this point, value them. And that's what LeBron does. LeBron actually values the people that, you know, work for him. And that's important.
1: A lot of the book is a bunch of great examples of kind of risk management, right? Uh, I don't want to go down that street or I'm worried about playing dice with these guys. There's all these different risks though in the business you're in now. And I wonder what social media, is that a risk? Do you do you ever get worried or cringe when someone might post something on Instagram or Twitter or something? Or is that just like you want your clients to be who they are and do what they want to do?
0: But that comes from listening too. You gotta listen. You know, and but again, social media takes people down a path where you're just looking for someone else's response or validation. And as people, we can't We can't look for people's validation that we don't even know. That's all ego-based. That's not strategic. That's not you know, wholesome. That's just strictly from an ego perspective. If you wanted validation from someone, pick up the phone and call that person that you know and that you trust and that is going to give you not necessarily the answer that you're looking for, but the truth. That's how the world...
1: So some, some of the more powerful parts of the book for me were he- hearing you talk through the lens of a young man, he's a young boy, about fashion and how you used fashion and clothing to try to differentiate yourself. I mean, it, you wrote, a uh, part of my obsession with clothes was the desire for the status and attention they provided and the way a precise outfit felt like armor against sadness. Can you talk about that? You know, you talk about, there's an amazing scene where you talk about obsession with Tommy Hilfiger and then one day you're sitting across from Tommy Hilfiger and he's actually asking you advice. Talk about you know how that played a role in your life and ended up kind of being part of your career now.
0: Yeah, because we didn't when you don't have money, you can only control what you can control, right? And so prior to me being able to provide for myself, the only thing I can control is how I look. And I wanted to look nice. My dad always taught me about just presentation and the importance of it. And you never know if you're going through a bad day or whatever the case may be, put your best outfit on. It changes the energy around you. And so I always just had that in me. And then my sister, Brandy, she really taught me how to dress, how to, you know, whether I was able to pick out an accessory or matching or or even though it doesn't look like I am matching, it still goes with this. And so I just developed this love for it. I got bit by that bug and, it's, and, and I'm still getting bit. You know, it's, it was a forever bite for sure.
1: And I think it, it was so interesting to hear again, as a teenager read um, the way you characterized it as a teenager because you wanted to be different. You wanted to stand out, you know, there was like a little twist. Everything had a twist and that was kind of how you got into the sports jerseys, right? Is no one, this was kind of a beginning, it was before you could get this stuff on the internet and you have found a way through Atlanta to get access to it. And so now you're, agency is different too, right? You're not like every other agency, you're going to do things differently. And I know that bothers some people who, you know, how dare Rich Paul, like talk to people like this, or how dare his, his clients kind of approach uh, contracts like this? Is that something that you feel like has made you stronger because you kind of have a background in not being afraid to be different? Or does it get tiresome to hear people complaining about how you should just do things the way other people do it? I've never been a follower
0: all my life, so i don't I don't really focus on that. Um, as long as I'm doing it the right way, then that's what my focus is. If I was doing it different, but but that different came was a detriment to the clients, then that would be wrong. But my difference is is, is just this is how I see the business, this is how I see the athlete, uh, I trust my staff and and and, and we go about things with the understanding that this is clutch sports group. This is not anyone else. And so we, we focus on that. And um, even when we partner with, with, with UTA, one of the things that we talked about was making sure that our culture, we stayed true to that and we integrated and it's been a great partnership with with, with, with UTA as well. And And obviously, you know, I'm the co-head of sports at UTA and I'm on the board of, of UTA as well. And so, and it's just, I know it was Frank Sinatra's song, but, but I like the Jay-Z version. of I, I did it my way. And so ultimately, in life, you, know, you have to, to walk your own path. Um, it's okay to take bits and pieces from those that were successful. It's okay to take bits and pieces from those that weren't successful so you understand what not to do. But ultimately, you, know, you got to carve your own path.
1: Do you you feel like some of the institutional barriers that might've prevented someone like you from coming into this business, you know, who didn't have a traditional kind of college background, maybe a lot of these agents went to Yale or UCLA or something, are some of those institutional barriers starting to come down because of the success of Clutch? Or do you feel like, you know, the next generation is gonna have to fight a lot of the same battles that you're having to fight?
0: Uh, No, I, I feel like, you know, everyone's looking for, every agency now is looking for a young black guy in a leather jacket. Um, but, but, but ultimately, um, hopefully, it, it does come down a little bit, and that's what it's about. It's not about me. It's about those coming behind me. And you no, know, regardless of whether you work at Clutch or, or, or whether you work anywhere else, if if you're not at Clutch and you're at another agency, hopefully, what I've been able to do forces those people to respect you and plan and want you to grow and give you some decision-making power because you know we have this diversity and inclusion, but what's the sense of having it if you're not gonna put people in position to where they actually can make decisions? And that's where we gotta watch that because that gets a little tricky um, and we can't be satisfied with just getting the job. We gotta be really focused on, yeah, I'm in the position, but then how do I grow within the position I'm in? And then once I do that, how do i reach back and give other people opportunities so they can be in the position that, because that's what has happened and that's why we've always been the minority in corporate america because we never strive to get in those positions of decision making power so when it came to the hiring if people are hiring they're hiring somebody that looks like them or their cousins or uncle uncle mm-hmm. friend or uh, you know and, and and it's not a race thing all the time it just so happened that these companies And we as a community only focus on the talent because the talent brought the fortune and fame. We never really focus on building something. And if we focus on building, then I think you'll see a change because we can affect that change in a different way. So hopefully we're able to do both.
1: I mean, I think that's so interesting. I just wanted to follow up on that. Do you feel like those conversations about inclusivity and how diversity makes these companies stronger, are those conversations being held out in the open or is there still a lot of you know, whispering and stuff like
0: that. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, at UTA and Clutch, we definitely hold it held it out in the open. I mean, Clutch, we don't need it as much because we're pretty we are the definition of diverse. Um, but as a, as a bigger company on, on on the UTA side, yeah, we definitely um, talked about it and and implemented different strategies to 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 make sure that we're continuing to pay attention. And so. Um, we, we actually have Unlock 404 in Atlanta on Saturday, which is an initiative um, about, you know, black influencers and bringing Hollywood to Atlanta. Because a lot of kids don't know how to become writers and influencers and, you know, um, filmmakers and so on and so forth. And they can't see Hollywood from, you know, um, Marietta. It just don't right. work like that. And so uh, we felt like that was important.
1: You're, so you're one half of a power couple, and I know it got some attention on 60 Minutes. I wonder if you could talk, you've been in a relation, long-term relationship with Adele. I wonder if you could talk about the difference between the sports business and the music business, and if you see it being kind of compatible or it's completely different worlds.
0: Well, I mean, I can give you that perspective, um, really without even including Adele, but yes, uh, obviously the world knows that, 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 that we are partners. Um, I think it's important that the music business is different than the, than the agent business, I think, um, or the sports business. Everyone in sports want to be in music, obviously, because, it. especially when you play a team sport, because all the attention is on the individual. And most players playing a team sport, they probably wish all the attention was simply on them. So that's the thing that kind of makes them want to be in music. The people in music, wants to guarantee contract that right an athlete has. And they don't, and the, and the athlete doesn't have to go to a, a club in Tunica, Mississippi to pick up money and, and put themselves, you know, it's, it's just different dynamic. So, um, but ultimately, definitely two separate worlds, uh, but, but integrated at the epicenter of culture and, and influence, but two, two different worlds.
1: And I guess I I just wanted to end with this. I mean, I think, like I said, this book would be great for anyone from any walk of life, young, old, just to get a window into what you went through and how you did beat the odds. But, you know, what message would you give, I would say, to people, you know, almost 10-year-olds like the Rich Paul of 2023, who maybe aren't in high school yet and haven't really been pulled by some of these dark forces that come at you, but how do you get them to realize that there's all these opportunities out there? You don't need to be six, eight. You don't need to be able to, you know, dunk a basketball from the three point line, but how do you get them to find their passion and know that, um, you know, there's going to be opportunities out there, no matter what's going on at home and that kind of thing.
0: I think, I think it's okay to play a sport and, and, and still dream of, you know, I don't want to take the dream away, but you got to know when to jump off that dream train. And then, Just because you can't be the actual player, just look a little deeper. Start to really educate yourself on how the business of basketball works. And if you look at it, I always say this. There's 30 NBA teams. For the most part, there's 30 star players. But if there's 450 roster spots and there's 30 star players, then that means there's 420 other opportunities to be role players. So it's much harder to be that superstar than it is to just have a position. And you can stretch that opportunity just having it. You can actually star in your role and you work on that starting your role. Then who knows where it takes you? Because if, I my, if I'm a superstar for two years, but I'm a role player for 12 years, simple math.
1: Well, that's all the time we have. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Rich, congratulations on this amazing book. Thank you so much for your time today. It's really been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Damien. That was great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to
0: WashingtonPostLive.com.